Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. As church planters, we should make it our prayer to be able to say with Paul, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We've all received this ministry from the Lord Jesus, namely to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And sometimes testifying to God's great gospel will mean leaving the church we planted, led, and poured ourselves into. Naturally, this can be very painful but it's worth it for the sake of God's glory among the lost. Seeing new churches established and seeing existing churches revitalized is a beautiful thing. But how do we actually do this? And how do we know if it is indeed right to leave one church in order to plant another church or to lead an existing church? Today I'm excited to have Harvey Turner with me. Harvey has recently done this himself. He left the church he planted and led for about 20 years in order to lead Redeemer Burbank, and he did this in his 40s. Harvey is the teaching pastor at Redeemer Burbank, and he also serves as uh, Acts 29 U.S. West leadership team member. He's married to Rachel, and they have three kids. Harvey, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. Harvey and I had the great joy of meeting each other, what, 10 years ago, maybe? Yeah, something like that. At uh, Leadership Network, and... uh, he has been a dear friend of mine, yeah. and as we record this right now, our, our wives are actually at the pool hanging That's out right. together. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, you've been a good friend to me, man, and I always look forward to seeing you. So. Likewise, likewise, brother. Um, Harvey, uh, as I mentioned, uh, has just taken on a new role, and so we want to talk about that. And I'm really excited just to hear from him and, and to share his story because on, on a few of the podcasts, we've actually touched on this this mm-hmm. idea of, you know, when you when you plant a church and you lead it and it it grows, it's healthy, it's established, yeah. and a lot of us hit perhaps our forties like like yeah. me and you, and we're like, what do we do now? Yeah. And um, you and I have had some long conversations <laughs> about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to capture it on the podcast. Um, so why don't you just uh, before we jump into that, tell the listeners about yourself, how you came to faith, and and your your journey up to this point. Sure. So, um, yeah, I grew up uh, in uh, Bakersfield, California. We moved to Reno, Nevada when I was 13. Um, When I was growing up, uh, we went to some churches occasionally. Um, Oddly, Mennonite and Quaker churches. Yeah. (laughs) So that's uh, but I I didn't really understand the gospel. I mean, if if I'm sure somebody told me the gospel, but I never heard it clearly. I didn't really think of Christianity as being about Jesus, thought about it uh, more um, like rules and that kind of thing. That was my perspective as um, a younger kid. And then, um, so when I was growing up in Reno, uh, I, um, yeah, I I pretty much left church behind right right around the time I was like 15, 16. I didn't, wasn't really interested in it. I did try out youth group a couple of times, but didn't like it, uh, mostly because they didn't talk about God. <laughs> they played games. And I was actually always interested in God, just uh, not being goofy, mm-hmm. especially when you're a teenager. I was I was all about uh, trying to be cool. So mm-hmm. when I was uh, so, you know, I played sports and different things, but um, I uh, I really got into uh, partying. And um, I also 
uh, was into music and uh, I actually rapped a little bit and uh, mostly freestyle rapping. Battle rapper. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, that that, uh, that whole scene got me into a, a, a interesting crowd and um, I was not just, um, you know, doing drugs and partying, but I ended up selling drugs as well. And, um, and about the time I was 20, I was in jail for the third time and uh the and it kind of rocked me because i was in a jail cell with um a real gangster <laughs> and then i was when you go out to get your meals i was realizing i was around some people that were actual criminals and kind of scared me a little bit and so i remember being in jail calling out to god and then uh got out of uh there and uh, my parents had given me a bible so i found the bible and i started reading and i didn't know where to read and but there was this rap song by a rapper named e40 and he said uh, uh something to the effect our father who art in heaven that's the prayer that i pray so spread the word and when you're feeling down and out read proverbs now it's uh, <laughs> probably not the advice i would give anybody but that's uh, what i did i flipped open to uh proverbs started reading then i started wondering where jesus was found the gospels started reading about him i was fascinated by him and basically over the next few months uh, started going to church started to um yeah, I was going to Sunday services. I was going to Bible studies every night of the week that I could go. I was just, I was hungry and um, ended up, you know, I was so hungry for the Lord. I just, uh, I think I read through the Bible in the first three months and I read through the New Testament a couple of times. I was just so hungry. Mm. And um, right around that time, you know, a month in to being a Christian, I just had a sense that I was called to ministry. Mm. And um, so that's, that's the nutshell version. Our stories are very similar. I didn't go to jail, um, but I, I did have a very similar, uh, you know, experience of deep hunger uh, that was pres uh, formerly not there. Yeah. And uh, chasing the, the scene and uh, being cool and, yeah. and all of that yeah. in the Lord um, by His grace, for His glory, you know, changed, changed our lives. Yeah, and so. Uh, praise God, man. So tell us about uh, how the church then was planted. Lead, lead us up to that point. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I had all these friends that I hung out with and that didn't know Christ and they were not interested in coming to church. And, you know, honestly, the church I was going to, I, I was pr pretty sure that if I invited them, uh, they were not going to be into it either. It, ju it just wasn't for guys that I was hanging out with, mm -hmm. really. So I started uh, talking to them about God. And while usually while they were partying and um, eventually um, I said, hey, why don't we start a Bible study? And so we started a Bible study at the party house uh, where the, all my friends uh, would get together and party. And it would be on, uh, I think at that time it was on Wednesday nights <clears throat> and um, there would be beer bottles and stuff everywhere and you know i think there was might have even been a bong on the table or something like that um there was pornography in the bathroom and i'm starting a bible study in this house <laughs> and uh that bible study a couple of those guys became christians and um one of them's now a pastor at the church that i planted in reno hmm. and um 
they started inviting their friends. And before long, you know, I, we had this Bible study, 15, 20 guys. Uh, there were most of them that weren't Christians. And I was just started uh, walking through the Gospel of John with them. Mm-hmm. And um, every week just showing them who Jesus is. Now, let me stop you there. Before you did John, though, I think you told me before your second week was on uh, Romans 9. Yeah, actually. So I was a brand new, I was still in the cage phase of a Calvinist. You know, like Spurgeon says something to the effect of like when somebody becomes a Calvinist, lock them in a cage. Uh-huh. Uh, for a while, let them mature. Yeah. Well, nobody locked me in a cage. <laughs> so the first week was the gospel, uh, you know, and then the second week I was like, for whatever reason, I was talking with my friend. We started this Bible study together. I was like, man, I was just so driven by election and like, and I just, I knew I was elected. <laughs> so, so I, I, uh, I just, uh, yeah, we went Romans 9. It was so what did, what did a group of unbelievers say? To Romans 9 when you got finished. Oh, man, it was so crazy. So, you know, when you present that to a Christian who's never really heard it, they're ready to fight. I mean, they're pulling out all the stops and the guns. Like, any verse they've even heard of that sounds like God's going to save the whole world, like, they, they, uh, (laughs) all that stuff comes out. And uh, But with non-Christians that don't know the Bible at all, I walked them through Romans 9, and they just looked at me and went, well, that's what it says. (laughs) I said, that's right. That's what <laughs> Nobody had any issue with it at all. That's fascinating. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Then eventually we got to the Gospel of John, yeah. <laughs> so which John, had a lot of election in it, too. Yeah. So through the Gospel of John and that Bible study, uh, as uh, you were going through it, it grew, right? Yeah. Upwards of 100 people or so. Yeah. So what happened is, is we it was a guy's Bible study, mostly evangelistic for a couple of years. And, you know, when you have unbelievers, people are in and out. There's not a lot of consistency. But at some point, as some of these guys started becoming Christians, it started getting more consistency. And then there was some, um, you know, we were all single and there were some young ladies that were wanting to come to. So we moved it to another house because we'd kind of outgrown. And though there was a guy who was a pastor in the church I was a deacon at. Uh, who had this house that he, he was just come from the mission field. He had this house with this big front room with no furniture in it. He said, well, I don't have any furniture in this room. You guys could just bring some fold up chairs and use this room. Well, we did. And it just slowly started growing, uh, from like 20, 25, 30. Uh, what we started setting up, uh, rows of chairs in, in the room. And then there was a staircase and people would sit up the staircase. And then on the top of the staircase, there was kind of like a, uh, look over balcony sort of thing. And people would sit up there. So our, one of the nights we had almost 70 people in this, uh, Bible study. And I realized I, I had stopped leading a Bible study and I was preaching. <laughs> Somebody had given me a box of John MacArthur tapes and I would just listen to those and go, okay, that's how you do it. And I would just, uh, I would just do that. And, um, I would just go through texts and, and I was just preaching with a little bit of dialogue thrown in there. And, uh, we maxed this house out and I really, and we were doing a little bit of music too. We had, uh, two guys, one guy was learning the guitar. One guy was learning the bass oddly. <laughs> And then uh, they knew about three songs. So we would do those three songs every week. And then they would learn a new one. And we were like, oh, we got a new song this week. It's so exciting. So, uh, yeah, I went to the pastor of the church where I was a deacon at. I said, look, I think I accidentally started a church. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like mostly young adults and college students at that point. And he said, well, why don't you bring it here to uh, the church building? At that time, we were meeting on Friday nights. And I said, ah, that's too big that, you know, said, no, I think you should, you know, God is doing something here. So we brought it to the church building and Hmm. they just took off from there. Hmm. And for a little while, we kind of functioned as a church within a church. 
at that church and then eventually planted. And so the church that we planted is called Living Stones and it's in Reno. And uh, we actually planted four other Living Stones churches in Northern Nevada that are, um, uh, in, you know, it, the model that we had was they're autonomous congregations, but we would partner together for several different things. They all had their own elders and leadership teams and that sort of thing. Mm. So, yeah. So, so when you, from uh, the gospel of, or from the uh, first Bible study to when you uh, decided to leave uh, Living Stones, you were there roughly 20 years. Yeah. Right. So, mm -hmm. you poured heart and soul into it, right? You've... Uh, it's the only church you've pastored. Mm -hmm. You've trained guys. You've planted other churches. Yeah. Um, you were a leader in the West Coast network. And then you get to this point uh, on sabbatical, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, perhaps prior to that, thoughts in your head about mm -hmm. does the Lord have something for us next? Yeah. Can you walk us through that process, mm -hmm. what that was like, yeah. what, what was in your heart, what was in your soul? Mm -hmm. Help guys out there who are thinking through, you know, similar. Yeah. Uh, opportunities, tr possible transitions. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's a couple of things. One, probably for the last 10 years, <clears throat> and I think a, a lot of church planners have this, almost every major city I would visit, I would go, oh, I can plant a church here. This, you know, and I would, I would be scoping it out and be thinking it through. But, you know, I'd talk to my wife about it and she'd say, you're crazy. And, you know, it'd just kind of go away. I'd go back home to Reno, pastor the church. And, um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, but I never could shake this idea that of planting again because he, you know, uh, leading a congregation uh, for a lot of years, especially the congregation that I was pastoring was pretty large. It's a different kind of skill set, and I felt like some of my skills were okay in that context, and others of my skills were not. And I, I just kind of knew I was better at like building things up, you know, from scratch. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example or two of what those skills are? Yeah, I think that uh, you that church planters have. You mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that a a church planter has to be a theologian mm -hmm. and has to be a, a preacher. I think mm -hmm. because you're 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 going to a place where there is no gospel, mm -hmm. and you are now going to plant the gospel there, and you're gonna and you have to actually form theology around that to build out a church. And um, so I, I, those things I had a hunger for and learned a lot in. And, uh, and then also, I think uh, you have to be able to preach. In order to gather people, you have to be able to preach. And uh, so those are a couple of things. I think also leadership development. Um, it, uh, that's always something that I, I just kind of naturally did is develop others. And so those things ser always served me well. But once the church got larger... Um, it really required somebody who was a good manager, somebody who uh, is really good at, um, you know, leading systems and structures and developing uh, that side of ministry. And that, you know, I, I think I, I, I figured things out as I went along. I got a lot of advice from other people, but it was never like a natural thing. And the church planning process was almost... It was almost like it just came natural to me. You know, I, I obviously I think that's a gift of the Holy Spirit, you know. And um, so I always kind of dreamt about, man, it would be great to do that again. Mm -hmm. It'd be great to, you know, plant again because that's where I felt like I was in my wheelhouse. And leading a large congregation, I, I felt like I was just struggling yeah. along and I was not thriving. Even my health, you know, was having issues as yeah. well. So Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, the Burbank 
opportunity came up. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So like I said, I'd, I'd been thinking about going to large cities for a long time because Reno's a uh, decent sized city, but not huge. And uh, I always loved Los Angeles and um, I'm a, a big Dodger fan, you know, that, but I also grew up in Bakersfield a couple hours outside of Los Angeles. So I was always fas- fascinated with Los Angeles. And um, yeah, I heard about this, this situation at Redeemer Burbank and it was during a period of time where I really felt like God was inviting me to consider something else. And I didn't know what to do with that first, but I was just praying about it. Me and my wife, Rachel, were just praying about it. And um, yeah, I, I was talking to a few of my mentors about it. And one of my mentors uh, let me know about Redeemer Burbank needing a pastor. And so this situation is a is a older Baptist church that merged with the next 29 church. Uh, the pastor transitioned and um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, they were without a pastor for some time. So this is a, 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 they have a building right there in Burbank. There was a core group of about 70, 80 adults. And uh, this building uh, sits across the street from Disney Studios and uh, great location, great situation right there in the middle of Los Angeles. And I thought, man, if I ever plant again, like that's a great situation. Uh, a core group, ready to go, hungry, ready to be led and a building. <laughs> so that was one thing, you know, planting again, replanting this church in my 40s. Like there was some things I didn't want to do again. Uh-huh. Like <laughs> Although, start from scratch. Yeah, start from scratch, set up, tear down, like all you think of that. At, like an energy level uh, <clears throat> yeah, is, energy. is different? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. My energy is just not the same. And I have to be really wise uh, with where I put my energy these days. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. Talk to us about uh, what you left. What was the hardest thing about leaving uh, Living Stones? Mm -hmm. I would say uh, the people, the relationships, the the relationships I had with the pastors, the elders, the the, the family of churches that we had established, the, all the lead pastors of those churches, I dearly love. Um, the uh, And then just the city. You know, I, we'd spent a lot of time really investing into the city and getting to know people. And, um, you know, I knew business owners and I knew uh, peop- uh, politicians, people all over the city. I made all these connections. And uh, so I would really just say it comes down to people. Right. You know, I really had a love for a lot of people. And then also this people and the location and um you know i'd poured 20 years of my life into this thing and so yeah yeah uh what what was the impact on your family how did you uh seek to include your wife and uh, kids Mm -hmm. in the decision yeah so when i first started to pray about it i had this sense that uh you know as i was praying that over the course of a few months that god was inviting me to do something different and then my work in reno was it was time to be done with that and pass that on to somebody else. So I went to Rachel and I let her know. And she knew in me this kind of like this was always popping up, you know, and she thought it was just another one of those times. But then um, I came back with the specific of Redeemer Burbank. And she, at first she said, nope, no way, because, you know, we're we're connected and my kids are in school. She's very connected in the city and in the schools and things like that. And we had a lot of evangelistic relationships that we were still working on. And, um, you know, she just was like, no way. So she prayed about it. Uh, she didn't really tell me. She just said no. But she started praying about it. And uh, so I said, all right, Lord, if you're, you know, if this is of you, then somehow you're going to have to show her. And uh, I didn't say anything to her. Well, a week later, <clears throat> uh, we went out on a date. 
And it was just me and her. And she said, I need to tell you something. And the way she said it, I was like, uh-oh. This is... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she said, yeah, I've been praying about it. And all weekend, I think we're supposed to go to L.A. And I was just kind of like, whoa, hmm. really? And so we spent the rest of that evening talking it through and uh, praying. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I went on sabbatical during this period of time. And one of my uh, friends and mentors, Brian Howard's, you know, encouraged me. He said, oh, you need to take a month and pray. And so uh, we were planning on going to Hawaii for my sabbatical. Some X-29 churches there were very generous and set us up with some housing and things. So we went there and uh, basically I spent 34 days in Hawaii, not a bad place to pray about something. And I just prayed every day, got up every day and just prayed, asked the Lord for direction. And by the end of that time period, I knew that it was God was calling us to do it. So, uh, yeah, Rachel and I just prayed together, conversated together, began talking to our kids about it, uh, eventually brought it to the elders of Living Stones. Um, they affirmed it. Hmm. All the elders of all the churches that we had planted, the five churches came together. I think there was almost 30 men in the room and they uh, unanimously decided to bless us and send us. It's hmm. awesome, man. Yeah. And obviously the church was in a good position. There was healthy. Yeah. And good leaders in place. Yeah. You yeah. weren't leaving a bad situation, which really makes it, it makes it a special story to me. Mm. And it also um, makes it hard to leave, right? Yeah. When, when you're not leaving a drama. Yes. Uh, obviously all churches have some drama, but yeah. it was, it was a good situation. Yeah. Um, but the Lord, the Lord was, was drawing you to uh, yeah. this new work, man. Yes. Same mission. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, in terms of practice, uh, you know, we learn a lot through the years. Mm -hmm. At Redeemer Burbank, I'm really interested in how you'll answer this question. Um, what will you or are you doing differently? Mm. Um, what will you do differently or what are you doing differently mm -hmm. than you than you did in your previous years? And it may be nothing, but um, I'd love to hear. Yeah, no, there's definitely some things I'm doing differently. I think, I think uh, patience, I have more patience now. <laughs> and uh to let things develop yeah i think uh, in my early years of planting as a young man i was very i i forced my will on a lot of things and um and often was able to get those things done but uh sometimes in the process i wasn't very kind to people in the way that i could have been mm -hmm. so I, I think i'm um <clears throat> you know i'm not as much in a hurry I'm not, you know, in fact, the people in the church are more in a hurry than me at, at Redeemer. Hmm. Um, they're just kind of like, when are we going to do this? And I'm going, hey, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. You know, and uh, I'm trying to lay certain groundwork right now yeah. and then get to some of the practicals later. And um, yeah, so I think patience is a big one. I think also I, um, you know, a lot of what I did in ministry is because I, I saw other people doing it. I would have conversations with people, you know, I would go to things like, uh, you know, things that we've been at together and learn from other mentors and pastors. And then you go home and you implement those things in your church. But now that I've been around the block, I kind of know what I think, and what I believe and what I would like to do. And um, I'm also, uh, yeah, I'm building out a different type of discipleship structure than I had always built out in the past, because I saw that there was some gaps in the discipleship structure that you know, honestly, most Acts 29 churches uh, run. And uh, so I, I'm building out, I'm building it out slower with more patience, a lot more intention, mm -hmm. a lot less reactive and a lot, a lot more, um, 
you know, planning and intention this time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then what I said about the energy is also true mm-hmm. because I don't have as much energy. I have to specifically invest myself, uh, each week in the things that are, mm-hmm. I think are what the church needs now. That's good. So that's really good. I want to follow up on a couple of things there. One, the patience made me think of what Steve Timmis said um, recently that as an old man, and he's much, much older than you and me. <laughs> he's really uh, he, He's really old. Um, he, he said he's learned to play the long game as an old man, where when he was a young man, he, he didn't, that wasn't his default uh, to play to play the long game. Yeah. And I can certainly resonate with that. Amen. Much more patient yes. than I, I used to be. Um the gap in discipleship process, that's a very interesting uh, uh, statement. What would maybe one or two of those be that, that you really want to see uh, happen at Redeemer Burbank? Well, <clears throat> I think that, um, you know, in Acts 29, we have, uh, you know, our convictions around gospel centrality and the sovereignty of God and those things. And then we're also very activistic. It's a bunch of church planters. And uh, so, so we go from like the theology to the activism right away. And I think sometimes we mobilize before we catechize. Mm. We so we start sending people out into you know the lost world without teaching them uh, the faith. Mm. And so I think this way, this time around, I'm going to put a lot more intention on the front end of catechizing people, uh, catechizing the whole church uh, before we we send out. And so the model that I'm using, I don't think the model is the important part. I think the important part is catechizing before you mobilize. But uh, the model that I think I want to use is is a, a process that doesn't go just, you know, we have this process in a lot of extra nine churches. You got Sunday gatherings and then you have like community groups or missional communities or whatever you have, uh, gospel communities. And <clears throat> that's a huge jump for unbelievers to make. You know, they come on on Sunday, they meet Jesus, and then it's like, now you need to go to somebody's house and get in a circle. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a huge jump. And then we send them into that in a conversation sort of setting when they haven't even learned the basics of the faith. Yeah. So I think I want to build a process that has catechism as an in-between uh, that will serve as both a leadership development tool to teach people theology, do some theological development, and then also uh, it, it will teach people the basics of the faith so that when they do get into one of these communities, mm-hmm. uh, as smaller communities, they they have some equipment to work with as well. So, yeah, I think Brilliant. that that's... Uh, Brilliant. We'll okay. see, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> um, that, uh, one more follow-up on that. Will you teach that, or is mm-hmm. that... Okay, so yeah. you're going to do, you're going to invest your time. Mm-hmm. We have limited energy as old guys, yeah. right? So preaching mm-hmm. and, and that kind of discipleship exactly. piece. Yeah, I, I think that that's, uh, um, you know, when I, that's another thing I learned about. What does that look like? Is that in the midweek? Yeah, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm probably going to do, so I'll preach in the morning. And then, you know, I'm at a church now. For the past several years, I was preaching three, four services a Sunday. Now I just preach one. It's glorious. <laughs> Preach one. I'm like, now what do I do? So I think what we're going to do is we're going to do like a service, some sort of like lunch sort of thing a couple times a month. And then catechism. I'm going to use the New City Catechism. I want to use the Heidelberg Catechism, but it's the language is a little. So I'm probably going to use the New City Catechism and, and uh, just begin doing that. And I feel, feel like that's a good use of my time because it that's where I'm 
gifted and I feel like I can be the most help to people. And I think that there's another piece to it too that I think we don't talk about enough uh, is pastoral presence. Mm-hmm. You know, um, especially when, you know, you're preaching, you're planting, you're doing all these things. What real people really need our presence. Mm-hmm. You know, they not only need our teaching, they need our, uh, uh, there's, there's something that happens when we're in the presence of another person who's godly and we absorb things that we don't absorb other ways, you know, and um, somebody who's more mature in the faith that, you know, I, I don't know about you. I remember as a young Christian hungering to be around yeah. people that were mature in the faith. I just wanted to like see how they did life and how they, and I, so I want to try and give as much of my presence to people as possible. Did you feel like that was a impossibility at Living Stones? Yeah, because. Did, did the distance really impact you? Yes. Emotionally, psychologically? Yeah. I feel like that, you know, that's, that was part of the journey is I think I'm a pastor mm-hmm. and um, I'm not a CEO of a complex organization, yeah. which is what Living Stones became. Yeah. And the guy that's going to take my place at Living Stones is much better at those sorts of things. That's a good I word, man. It's a good word. Um, what kind of groundwork you said you're laying right now at the church? So let's let's talk to the guy who's uh, he's young, he's a planter, but he's going to find himself in a similar position, mm-hmm. you know, in 10, 15 years or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe guys are there right now. Yeah. Um, what, what is some of that groundwork you're laying and help us think? Through? So if if somebody, you know, they're eventually going to transition in 15, 20 years. Yeah, I think that what I learned is this <clears throat> leadership development, giving that pastoral presence, especially, you know, Paul talks about <clears throat> and trust these things to the faithful. So they'll be able to teach others. Also looking for those people and investing in them. And um, <clears throat> part of the reason why I'm able to lead living stones in a healthy place is because I invested a lot in leadership development over the years. So we did things like six in the morning, pastor school. You know, we're going through uh, lectures to my students by Spurgeon, and we're going through all these different books and theology, and t- I'm teaching them how to preach and that sort of thing. I, I did a preaching cohort. Uh, interesting, last couple of years, I invested a lot in preachers, um, not even knowing I was leaving, you know, but I, I just invested in developing preachers the last couple of years. Um, other... Uh, things I would have, like I would have a, like a lunch on Thursday uh, for um, men who were not in full-time ministry that were businessmen and that sort of thing. And I would just invest in them from a leadership perspective. Well, now a lot of those men are becoming elders at Living Stones. So leadership development, leadership development, leadership development throughout all those years put me in a place where I could transition without hurting the church, I think. Mm-hmm. Harvey Turner pastor of Redeemer Burbank and one of my best friends. Uh, we got to spend, uh, we, we even celebrated our birthdays uh, yeah. this past year together. Yeah, man. We got to get that back on the calendar. That's right. We got to go back to Wittenberg. We got to. We got to. <laughs> one of the best times of my life yeah. was Harvey and I led a little a little tour uh, uh, of uh, Wittenberg, yeah. which was epic. Amen. So thanks for being on the podcast, brother. Thanks uh, for me. Uh, The listeners can follow you guys. You have a website mm-hmm. at Redeemer Burbank. Yeah rebuilding the website right now but yes <laughs> got a website and then uh, i'm on all the social media stuff too superman thanks for giving us some time i right, man thanks